I've drawn the short straw and I'm going first. It has nothing to do with seniority. Uh, let me just say uh, how pleased I am to be here, both uh, literally and figuratively. Um, glad you're not doing this in memoriam or that sort of thing. <laughs> I'm also glad we have a podium. I was afraid we were going to have a setup like yesterday where Dr. Sadler talked with uh, walking around with a portable uh, microphone. Um, at my age, uh, my wife's parting comment to me each day is not, I love you, but is your zipper up? And so <laughs> I don't have to worry about that this morning. But it's hard to believe that it's been 40 years for many of you that are around my time back in 1973 when I finished. Um, it's just uh, unbelievable that where those 40 years have gone, our children now have children of, of their own, and it's just been incredible. And then yesterday I'm sitting in the white coat ceremony looking at the um, people there, and I found it hard to believe that I was ever that young um, and got to thinking about what it would be like to have them come and see me and ask me to take my pants down. And, <laughs> I uh, just didn't want to go there. Um, I do want to take a moment, though, for a personal issue and um, just thank uh, Anne and the Saddlers and the others who uh, interviewed me and accepted me into the program uh, those many years ago. Um, it was, uh, for me, um, a real shot in the dark to apply. Uh, my credentials were relatively limited as one of the newly minted uh, Vietnam veterans uh, with not much else experience with a, what would be kindly be noted as a checkered academic past, um, <laughs> despite perhaps some demonstration of some innate intelligence, but nonetheless, um, uh, they, they took a chance on me. And, and I hope that over the years, uh, I've been able to demonstrate that that was a, a reasonable chance to take, that you've uh, gained back uh, the sleep that you might have lost while I was here and you were worrying about me. But I also like to think that that was an important part of our founding as, as a program and a philosophy that I think that we continued on over the years and my years as a director of admission. I can tell you that in a number of you, as I look at some of you here in the audience, that I um, was part of your applying to the program. Um, you know, some of you we took a chance on also, and, and I'm very pleased to say. <laughs> You know that as well as I do, and, and, and I'm, I'm pleased to say, uh, there you are, and, and we were right to take the chance, and, and congratulations to you as well. Um, I, I do want to say, as, as we talk a little bit here this morning, and we'll try and do, that clock is wrong though, right? Yes, yeah, okay. Um, I, I hope that we don't come off pretentious in terms of our presentations, that um, you're all sitting here today because of the work that we did and, and people like us uh, did. Um, uh, Certainly, uh, Anne and I realize that is not the case, um, uh, and uh, that the progress that we've made has been the work of many, many people. No one person has uh, affected the, where we are today, but, but um, the day-to-day -day work of what you all have done, even if you've never served on a committee or an organization, uh, despite the numbers that David uh, presented, um, and provided the kind of care that you did, um, has been every bit as critical to getting us as a profession to where we are today as whatever contributions and Cindy, myself, and the others uh, have made. Um, so I thank you for um, your participation from uh, that level. I don't know if you've had a chance to look at the uh, PA History uh, website, which is very well done, and I strongly encourage you to go and look at that if you have any interest in the history of the profession. There's a, a wonderful uh, collection of information there that uh, we should all be proud of. They have a little graphic running down the side of it with just the timeline of the history profession, sort of like the uh, thing you see at the Natural History Museums, the Peabody Museum here at Yale, et cetera. Uh, it appears I come from the Prezoic Age. Um, 
when PAs walked around on their knuckles. Um, but um, uh, as Berdine said, it was a time when there was a, a void on the earth in terms of the earth and, and, and PAs, and we were without a form. Um, but it, it was during this time that PA History Society calls the implementation period, 1966 to about 1972, and the evolution and standardization period, 1973 to 1980 or so that we heard about this morning. Um, but there must have been something here in the water at Yale uh, for those of us that were attending the program that encouraged us um, to participate in the program and the, uh, the profession and the growth of the uh, profession. Um, because even though Yale was not the first PA program, it certainly was among the uh, very early ones. But uh, thanks to the efforts of Jack Cole, the Saddlers, and uh, the faculty here at Yale, Paul Mosen, certainly, um, uh, clearly helped to get the PA program uh, going and, and uh, set on the road that, to do as well as it has done. Um, and at the same time, uh, has promoted the kind of leadership that, again, David has referred to, that you're seeing sitting here before you, in addition to our good friend, Ina Cushman, who couldn't be here, as uh, Mary noted. Um, and in addition, in the audience, we have um, three people who have served as vice president, speaker of our House of Delegates of our national organization. Um, people who, like Elaine Grant, in addition to the 28 years that she gave here, has served as uh, chairman of the NZCPA, and I don't hold that against her particularly. Um, uh, Paul Mosen, who, while from that other program, um, while he was here at Yale, served as the third president of our national organization and as a founding member of our national organization, a person to whom we owe a great deal of credit um, for our profession. And of course, uh, all of the Yale graduates, again, as David said, who served on, whether it's a chapter membership, uh, chapter presidents, uh, we have, uh, I don't know if Charlie Park is here, I saw Carol Sashlevitz, uh, John Dalinger, uh, Sal Barisa was in here, Mary Warner herself, uh, Judy Noons, who have all served as president of, of our chapter, state chapter, and helped again to get us from the early stages that we heard earlier to where we are today and hopefully beyond. Um, and, and the PAs who have moved on beyond healthcare. Again, I think this is just so intimate to what Yale has given us in addition to our medical education, but that drive and desire to uh, make more of ourselves. And people like Anne who have served at the highest levels of government with the Surgeon General's office and, and PAs who have served in many other capacities. Um, uh, and and it, it is more than just the water that we drink here at, at Yale. Um, uh, and and I, I think that this program has con contributed this aspect to the PA profession every bit as much as it has to the great clinical um, PAs that we um, have had. Um, because although we've talked about it, I really ask you to stop for a minute and think about your practice, especially for, for you newer people that weren't, don't have to practice in the kind of situation that we did that Berlin, Berdeen talked about, of where nurses absolutely refused to take our orders and we had to work around that situation. I mean, think about doing that today where, where we just take for granted, put them in, whether it's electronically or otherwise, you put it in and it's, and it's done. There was a time when that was not possible. Um, there was a time when we could not write prescriptions. And I, I don't know if we're being recorded, but you know, we, we would use pre-signed prescriptions in order to just get through the day kind of thing. Not for ourselves, but for the, for the patients. Um, <laughs> And, and some for ourselves as well, as Dick said. But um, you know, again, think about your day-to-day -day work without being able to write prescriptions for those of you that are working clinically. Uh, the change has just been um, tremendous. We had no licensure. We were barely recognized in the law um, with a very general delegatory law, but one that probably created more confusion than, than helped us. Um, 
uh, we didn't have a certification exam, which again for me was maybe not all that bad. Um, but um, <laughs> uh, we, we got a certificate, uh, but Dean is right. I became a grandfather at a very early age because the state was kind enough to grandfather me into the law uh, when we got licensure. But um, you know, we got a certificate. Uh, no degree whatsoever. Berdine and I were sitting last night talking about uh, the early days, and we could literally list every PA that was in Connecticut at the time that we started. And there were about six of us at that time. Six of us in the entire state practicing as PAs. Um, so, uh, you know, it just was a, an, an incredible time. And, and I think, again, Yale helped us to uh, get involved in our organizations to give us that drive to do that. And I'm going to let my colleagues here talk a little bit about uh, what it was that, that we did with that. Well, I, I want to thank Mary for, for the invitation. And it's, it's, it's a little spooky being back here, I have to say. Um, remembering my interview, I cried all the way home. I was sure that I would not be accepted. And I, this is where I really wanted to come. Once I was here, I was totally miserable, of course, with the classes. <laughs> After my first two weeks in the anatomy class and Dr. Creelan saying, ah, the first test is just going to be on the big bones. I took him literally. Do you know how many facets he tested us on just in that one skeletal system exam? And so the bar was set high very, very early on. But I have to say it served me well. My mother was a little confused when I told her that I wanted to become a PA when I was applying for programs. But when I got into Yale, she said, oh, I guess it's, I guess it's a legitimate profession. <laughs> <laughs> and she has always been proud of me ever since then. Um, <laughs> there was a turning point in our relationship in terms of my direction in life when I got into Yale, to the PA program. <laughs> And, uh, and, and, but it did, it did set the bar for expectations. And the people that were here, Bruce and Jeff and Elaine and Burdine in particular, with their, with their roles in the American Academy of Physician Assistants, were um, not only encouraging us, but urging us and pushing us to go to our first conference in our first year. And it was an eye-opener. And I got invited in. And I saw that this was something that I, I could participate in. That was, that was fun and interesting, and I immediately ran for the Student Academy because they would pay my transportation to the next meeting. <laughs> and I found out how I could have free food so that I could get free, not free CME, I still had to pay registration, but I could get CME and learn about this profession. But it wasn't until I got out of practice in my first job in a hospital where I, in uh, Cape Cod, Hyannis Hospital, uh, Cape Cod Hospital in Hyannis, where, where um, I had done an internal medicine rotation. And here I was now as a, as a, as a PA in an in a internal medicine nephrology practice, where now the nurses wouldn't take my orders. It was the same kind of thing that, that was described earlier. And I, I was horrified that, first of all, I was deeply in debt because I couldn't get loans to come to to, to, to do this incredible training, that I so believed in the profession and that I was so eager and passionate about it, and yet my hands were tied and I was hobbled and sometimes muzzled. And it was, it was very frustrating to me. But I found great strength 
in numbers with the AAPA and with getting very quickly involved with the uh, Massachusetts Association of PAs where I was, and Barbara, it's nice to see you here, um, who, who was also very, very involved with that, that, that I, I uh, at, at that time, it was, it was, um, you know, the scope of practice, it was the same thing. This was, I was a 1980s graduate. And there were, um, we barely had, we were, we were able to practice in the state, but in a very limited way. We had no prescriptive privileges, and we set that as our goal, that we were going to get prescriptive privileges. I don't remember how many years it took us, because some of us, you know, sort of died on the wayside. Um, but we just kept going and kept thinking, we're going to outlive the Mass Medical Society, and we are going to get this legislation through. And, you know, we finally did. Um, but it was, there were many other struggles for recognition that I think drew us together. Um, very in, in a very positive way that makes this a very very special profession I think to to probably all of you here and and you know look at how the profession has grown it's it's, it's truly incredible but I I thank Yale for kind of setting the bar for leadership I have to say when I was a student and I got involved with the student academy I was student academy president during my second year of, of rotations and how could anybody find any time to do anything else it gave me a really nice balance. And what I discovered was that I loved practicing medicine, but I also love organizing people and things and organizations. And that experience with the Student Academy and with the AAPA helped me develop those skills that I've now used in what some would call a confusing career. Because it's a zigzag. Every dot connects, but, every, but it zigzags. So I, because I'm a little bit unusual, I'll just tell you a little bit about about the zigs and the zags is that I, I was in PA practice, but as I got involved, I started taking night jobs in an emergency room with an HMO so that I could lobby for the PAs in Massachusetts to get that prescriptive privileges to free up my daytime to be, be at the State House, so much so that the Senate Chairman of the Health Care Committee asked me if I wanted to work for him. And I said, sure, as long as I can moonlight on the weekends. And I did that for quite a while, uh, a few years. And then got an opportunity to, I was hired to be the director of a city public health department in Somerville, Massachusetts, still moonlighting on the weekends. And at that, at that time I was involved with the AAPA, I was on the board, I got elected president when I was director of the Somerville Health Department, and it was during the Clinton health care reform days. And that's my claim to fame with the PA profession. Bruce is still jealous, and I like to remind him of that, that I got to meet Hillary and Bill, and I have this slides that I promise not to show, but I'll paint you a picture. <laughs> I called, I called, I, I went around the country, so I don't know if any of you were living then and, and saw some of the, the inspirational talks that we had about how PAs were part of what could really help expand primary care to the millions of Americans who needed access to health care. And part of the reason why I was able to do that was because of my experience in the state where we couldn't just lobby for PA prescriptive privileges. Who cares whether PAs get to do this or that? Why do they need to do it? Because people need the health care. And we joined with other organizations, you know, the elderly organizations, the community organizations, the access, health care access organizations that helped us make our case much better than we could just in isolation about why are we here anyway? Why, what's the point of medical care? Um, and what's the, what's the point of, of, a, of an expanded workforce? 
and we were able to make that very clearly. So I got to go to some of the White House things, and I got to be uh, testify before the White House task force on, on health care reform back in 93, when we thought we'd get health care reform then. That was a while ago. Um, it didn't pass, but we got some, some great recognition at that time. And since then, the profession has just gone up, even without health care reform, because there was such a need. The, 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 I mean, you look at the statistics that, that Patrick showed, and it's just so impressive how, how really a meteoric rise for the PA profession. But we still have our problems, and I think some of the lessons and some of the, some of the things, some of the ways that we need to keep moving are along the same lines. You outlined some very nice um, things that, that we still need to be getting reimbursement and recognition so that we can offer what we have to offer. And that's where I think all of us still have a role in the PA program, still have a very strong role in joining together to find the best way to turn around some of those misconceptions about how we can be a huge part of the solution to a cost-effective health care system. And so it's, it's very inspirational. But I, I was going to tell you some of my zigs and zags, and I left off as a Somerville Health Department person. but. I'm telling you this because here I was, I was AAPA president, I was also the director of a health department. We had some very um, sort of pioneering uh, tobacco control legislation that we got passed in our city that became a state model and then, you know, along the way, it was, it was kind of very exciting to move beyond just being a health care provider to thinking, I can not only take care of patients one-on-one, -on -one, but from a public health perspective, I want to look at the population's health and what's needed that I see patients coming into me every day with things that could have been prevented or they could have had earlier diagnosis and treatment, and shouldn't we all be looking at that way? I went on to have, be offered uh, a, a new position after a number of years there in, to direct a similar department in Portland, Maine for their, for their health department. At the same time, they were having tobacco control legislation, which then became state legislation, which was fantastic. But then I got this most amazing opportunity that came together because the PA Foundation was able to create funding to create a fellowship in the Office of the Surgeon General for the first PA in the Office of the Surgeon General ever. And so I, I uh, jumped at it and went to Washington. I'd said to my new husband of two and a half years, well, you always said you'd support me in Was going to Washington. He said, yeah, but I didn't say I'd live there. So <laughs> he, he, we love Maine, too. And so I commuted for a couple of years, back and forth every week, pretty much. Um, I had the most amazing experience. Every time that we did anything having to do with the release of a Surgeon General's report or a launch on a new public health initiative, we made sure that representatives of AAPA and the PA profession were always on the guest list. They hadn't been before that. And that continues to this day because we've got you on the, you know, we're on the, <laughs> we're on the guest list now. And in fact, I started organizing some of those things and really making sure that, that they were there. And um, it was, you know, all kinds of public, important public health issues that, that's not the subject of this talk. But along, along the way there, um, my, my funding ended. They hired me as a consultant. That funding ended. That Surgeon General, David Satcher, who's still an inspiration in my eyes, moved, moved on. And I, I packed up and went home. Got the call almost immediately. We've got this new congressional funding for a Surgeon General's report on bone health and osteoporosis. Do you want to take it on? 
And so they did. They hired me to coordinate this whole project. And then I hooked up with a consulting company to do parts of it that actually had a little office, a little satellite office in Portland, Maine. How perfect. Um, so I could do that work, living in my beautiful place, working, doing, doing national policy work, and then put that report out in 2004. And a few years later, an opportunity came up to, uh, they were looking for a new executive director of the American Society for Bone and Mineral Research. And I jumped at it because these are the, uh, these, these are the physicians and researchers who study osteoporosis and related metabolic bone diseases. And their mission, although it's a research mission to do the basic and clinical research, a growing part of their mission is the translation of their great discoveries into clinical practice. And for me, that pulls it all together. The individual patients and the, end, and the whole line of continuum, they're now looking at what are the system based interventions to improve somebody's care early in childhood while they're still building their bone mass and children that have chronic diseases, what is that doing to their accretion of their bone mass, all the way through the continuum of men and women developing osteoporosis and related diseases later on that could have been prevented by better, better exercise and nutrition and medication when they needed it. And, and they're looking at you know, here's a group of scientists and research physicians looking at how can we do public awareness campaigns now because we want to see our treatment get into, you know, our discoveries get into practice much more. And most of you who know that know that osteoporosis is still a very silent disease, even in your own offices, perhaps. I hope not, but it's, I've seen it. We see these people walking around all the time. I remember when I was here at Yale looking at a lateral chest x-ray and the, the, uh, the senior resident saying, um, you know, osteoporosis, incidental finding, next. And that was it. So, so I, tell you, I tell you all of these um, kind of stories to, to give you a context for what my Yale education did to me. <laughs> um, to, because practicing medicine is really important to practice with the best evidence. And, and put it into practice. But it's more than that. It's looking at your whole community and your patients and the environment where they live and what keeps them healthy and how you can help them when they're, when they're not healthy. And, and I think that Yale made a huge difference for me in marrying the medicine and the public health. And I hope it has for all of you, too. So I'll turn it over to Cindy. I'm not going behind there. I stand behind there all week as a teacher. So I do want to thank Mary and all the PA faculty here for inviting me. I was very honored to be invited and certainly to thank Anne and the Sadlers for, and, and Jack Cole for that vision. Um, okay, I don't know what that was. Um, for having the vision to, to start the program. Um, you know, you can read my bio. This isn't about here is what I did. I am going to choose a little something different to share with you or challenge you that our, our Yale, not my, this is just the way Mary sliced the data with Dave. She could have sliced the data and every one of you would have been up here, whether you're a committee chair, a patient, educator, an activist. So there is nothing special about us. Well, Bruce is special, but um, <laughs> aside from that, aside from that, we're all special. And, and that's because of our education. But each of us could have, each of you could have been up here. So all of us, what our education has given to us. And so I just like to share three ideas, which first is, um, responsibility and obligation. The next for me is um, 
maturity and um, taking that responsibility. And I call it the putting on your big girl panties effect. <laughs> and the other is kind of that moving forward, how we help patients. And I think that's what our Yale experience has given to us. From the day I came, like Anne, I brought my husband who said, why do you want to hold the stethoscope for a doctor? Um, and I consider myself a third generation PA. I, I'm not of the prehistoric, I'm an 80s person, the late 80s. So I'm a third generation and I realized that things had already been done for me. But we came and Bruce, um, and putting others first is my other one uh, that I'll talk about. And there was Bruce at the, uh, Elaine uh, had the open house and you came for that information session and Bruce got up there. And he talked about, you know, here's how many I got wrong on the pants exam. Remember, he dropped the paper and all the wrong ones were there and I failed it and you don't have blah, blah, blah. And the next thing he said was, if you have the word I more than three times in your essay, um, this isn't the place for you. And I ran home and I said, oh my God, look at all the I's in my essay. And I took them all out. And that was my first step into realizing if me, myself, and I are your three best friends, this isn't the place for you at Yale, and medicine isn't the place for you. So that was lesson one, me, myself, and I, not my three best friends. The next was obligation and responsibility. And nowhere in the handbook, and it was a red three-ring binder that Elaine had, I remember, I probably just threw it away recently, you know, can't throw away your Yale stuff. Fred said, you know, somebody, you could be down on the ground, but I went to Yale, you'd tell somebody. So in that three-ring binder, but nowhere is there anywhere that says obligation or responsibility, yet it's there for all of us. With whatever you do, whether it's your advocacy, whether it's leadership at the state or national level, whether it's teaching in the hospital or teaching in a formal setting like a, a university, we have that obligation to be the leaders in whatever we do and whatever field. And that came through my experience here. And Elaine didn't whip us, you must do this, you must do that. But I too, like Anne, raised my hand and said, yeah, I'd like to run for going to be the representative from Yale and went to the National Academy representing Yale at the AOR, Assembly of Representatives. And I got there and got caught up by the fever. There's all these happy people and this PA thing was like, wow, this is great, I really enjoy this and ran for the board. And, and Bruce and, and um, Jeff came along, and they're, you know, you're like, oh my God, there's fathers of our profession. And they came up to me and they said, Cindy, we'd vote for you. And I'm like, they don't even know me, but they said they'd vote for me. Though they couldn't vote, so it was a really free thing they were offering there, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Only students could vote, right? So there was, you know, again, that obligation was there, but it was never written, you just felt it. The fact that you know, there were no 100 pages of notes, there was not even PowerPoint at the time, but you had that obligation to learn. When Dr. Gusberg walked in to do our vascular lecture, and he came in his, you know, hadn't even taken his booties off yet, and he had his mask up on his head, and he said, what's three block claudication? And we all sat there like that, and, and Dr. Duffy came in and said, you did read my book, didn't you, before you came to class, and we're like, and, and you did, you just went home and you, you learned this. No one was spoon feeding you and no one said we're gonna spoon feed you or not. You just did it because you had to do it. And you, so there was that obligation. And, and the third um, was that you have this responsibility. So you had to kind of put on your big girl panties. No one was gonna spoon feed you. So those are the things that have kind of carried me forward into what we need to do and what our obligations are and always focused on patient care. And the other was kind of giving back to society. Again, not, not about myself, but that giving back. And so those are the kind of the tenets that I've used in my life as I've moved on. 
And I had great mentorship. You know, that was the other thing that came at Yale. They didn't say, here, I'm your mentor. I'm forcing you to be my mentor. It just happened. And did I go into education? I, that was not on my list. Primary care wasn't on my list. But when I got um, elected to the student board, I was the APAP SAPA liaison. And so between Elaine and Ruth Balwig and Tony Miller, these people who, you know, because teachers at that time, right, your professors were, those were the mean people who wrote those horrible exams you would study for, but they didn't ask the questions that you would study. And I realized working with them on the PAEA, which was formerly APAP board, wow, they really cared. They struggled more with students than we struggled with liking them. They were worried about us and wanted us to be the best we could be. And so that was my inspiration to go into education because I had good mentors. And they never wore it. Elaine never wore it on her sleeve. Ruth never said, here, I'm your mentor and you owe me and I'm doing. It was never the I word. It just happened and it was natural. And they did it for their love and their passion. And so hopefully those are the things that I, I'm trying to carry forward. As doing the APA, Again, it was that very first day we got here. I don't think we were here a week. And Elaine had us up at 4 in the morning on a bus to New Jersey. And all I remember is this Marianne Ramos lady on the steps of the New Jersey Capitol. And there we were. I was this young person marching on the Capitol to help New Jersey get their rights. And so, you know, again, this obligation is there because it was just part of your life. You know, Jack Pike, Bill Cole, Hep, Bruce, they, those were, it was just, we were just getting licensure. I mean, the fact that I'm 0000053, not bad for the new kid on the block, that's my license number. But it's because they literally were sleeping on the Capitol and they didn't say, and you owe me. It was nothing about them. It was, this is for all of us for patient care. And they always had patient care there. So that's always been kind of what's, per, you know, has propelled me forward and having those good mentors who, who just did it, and they did it for others, not for themselves. Um, my work with the academy, these guys had set a lot of the work. The, you know, last night, Berdine and Marianne and Elaine sharing stories of um, how everything came together in the House of Delegates and, um, you know, what they used to do with those all-night meetings. Um, <laughs> that's, I, I wanted those all-night meetings. That's why I joined. Um, but the camaraderie, the friendship, um, at the same time, being able to move our profession forward was an honor for me as well. So it's nothing you should take for granted. It's always an honor. It's a privilege and an honor to practice medicine, and it's an honor to be a PA. So those are the things that have driven me. The academy and doing the APA and being president, again, I had all this done before me. So our goal was, you know, when you had to fight with, did the Yale even know who you were, and should it be a program, and then people don't, the nurses and the, the state, no one knew what you were. That was all ready for us. So as I was president of the academy, it was about advocacy. What does the world know and how can we better connect them? Because they know the word PA. And then, of course, you start to drill down and we become a lot of different things the minute you say, so what is a PA to you? Um, so it really was about advocacy. So I'm going to leave it short because I know you all, you're getting hungry. But it's our responsibility. It's putting patients first. Me, myself, and I are not my three best friends, and it is an honor to practice medicine. And congratulations to all of you, because we all belong in that same club. Are there questions?
Still is too, that's good news. Are there other questions? Comments? Okay, I parting last words, anything that you'd like to add? Now that you've heard each other's presentations more than once? I would only say that um, do not think that it is over. Um, and I would tell you, as, as much as we might have accomplished, um, there is a lot of personal satisfaction of being a part of that. Haven't been involved. I just want to encourage you. It is not too late. And as um, Patrick said, there is still plenty to be done. It is not a perfect profession in terms of what we can do, what we will be able to do at some point. And, and if you haven't uh, thought about getting involved, do so. You'll be well rewarded with it. My comment would be many. Uh, what about six years ago, Justine? I at the PAF auction they used to have. I bid on Dr. Dead's.
politicians that I deal with, <laughs> with policymakers as well, that they have a vision of themselves of who they were when they were at their most vital. And I, the patient that I remember most was sitting in her hospital bed every morning with her Johnnies and her pearls on. <laughs> and when I did my x-ray rounds every morning, I could see her, 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 um, her chest x-ray across the room because the pearls were still there. <laughs> and that's how she kept her dignity. And so I 